at Palo Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Choose 18 months, no payments and no interest, or $300 off each window, $700 off a Pella entry system, and $1,000 off a patio door. Get details at PellaWI.com. Restrictions apply. See showroom for details. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. As I was saying, a lot of ground to cover. All right. I admit... I admit I want one of these. Um, Lakefront Brewery, and they rolled this out, oh, about a week or so ago. I'm told it's been incredibly popular. Their response to the monsters in Russia and what the monsters are doing, and yes, it is the sign of evil. I, you know, Ronald Reagan got it right. This was the evil empire. And what is happening in Ukraine is a humanitarian crisis. This is a war of conquest. And as Putin has been slowed down in his effort to try to take over Ukraine, which is not going to happen, they they might occupy it, but they're not going to take it over. What you've had is the increasingly desperate Russian army that has created and engaged in more and more what I think is fair to describe as war crimes, atrocities by attacking civilians. Well, all right, Lakefront Brewery, they announced this the other day, they're releasing crowlers with a label that has a sketch of Putin on them. They also have a phrase on them that is a close translation to what the Pravada Brewing labels say. That's a beer that they make in Ukraine. The labels, well, I can't say it on the radio, actually, but it says Putin is a, and then it is an uncomfortable four-letter word. Lakefront's going to charge an additional $11 on top, $5 on top of the normal uh, $11 it costs for this. Then they will match the $5 ups charge with all proceeds going to the National Bank of Ukrainian Humanitarian Assistance to Ukrainians. Um, these are different labels that they're there. I, I want one. I want a couple. I want a couple of these. And not going to be able to get over to Lakefront this weekend, but um, actually I might contact a couple friends of mine and say, if you get down there, pick up a few of those. I'd like to have these labels out there. And um, I don't know, not sure what my wife is going to let me do with them, but it just it's completely and totally appropriate as you look at what has been going on in Ukraine. All right. Last night, the Thomas More basketball team, which had to go to court to and have an injunction issued in its favor, ended up playing a basketball game against Brown Deer. There were, I'm sure, people rooting for Thomas More. There were, I'm sure, people that were rooting for Brown Deer. The one thing I know is the executives at the WIAA, I know they were pulling for Brown Deer to win this game because if Brown Deer wins the game, then essentially all this court action that's going on be- becomes moot. Brown Deer advances to the state tournament. Unfortunately for the WIAA, that's not what happened. Thomas Moore ended up beating Brown Deer in overtime, so now Thomas Moore continues to advance in the tournament. That is, unless... The WIAA is going to continue to fight the lawsuit and try to get the injunction lifted and then try to, I guess, disqualify Thomas More. It, it's really, the, the more Thomas More wins, the more difficult it becomes for the WIAA, who does not believe that 
individual members should have the right to go to court to second-guess decisions, even if the decisions are made in a fashion that violates due process and is just fundamentally incorrect, which is precisely what happened. You know, we've talked about this before. We had the Thomas More coach on at the beginning of the week. You know, Thomas More was ordered, all their players were suspended for being involved in a brawl last Friday night, and the truth of the matter is the referees' reports were just fundamentally wrong. They suspended a kid who wasn't even on the bench, wasn't even in attendance that night. They said four kids who were playing in the game were suspended for leaving the bench. They didn't leave the bench. And the whole idea that the WIA has is that, well, if we have referees that write reports, those referees' reports aren't subject to being reviewed, even if they are blatantly wrong. I saw somebody forwarded me a note from the Wisconsin Basketball Basketball Officials Association that, that essentially wants to support the WIAA in trying to fight this litigation. The problem, of course, is that this whole thing started because the officials that night at that game just got it so wrong. They, they didn't intervene in an appropriate fashion to stop the fight. And then once the, this brawl sort of happens and once the crowd starts to stream onto the court, the officials... They, they just kind of completely lost control of this situation and then wrote a report which is just factually wrong. And it's unfortunate that the Basketball Officials Association, rather than acknowledging that some of their members got it wrong, apparently wants to side with the WIAA and saying that even if people get it really wrong and deny due process and have the facts wrong, there shouldn't be any sort of review. Well, this matter's become more complicated because, like I say, Thomas Moore continues to win, which continues to raise the question about whether the WIAA is going to continue trying to argue that they have the authority to suspend them or cause them to forfeit, or whether they should just drop this and let the team continue to play. When we come back... Some new developments in the rulings regarding people having to be vaccinated. I'll tell you the story and then ask what other companies should do in light of what United Airlines is doing. Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. This week's sponsor for the Jeff Wagner Home Improvement Showcase presented by Great Midwest Bank is Ridgetop Exteriors. With over 20 years in business, contact Ridgetop Exteriors today to build, improve, or repair your home. Get the Ridgetop Advantage today and call 414-244-9416 or visit them at RidgetopExteriorsMKE.com. All right. A year ago, we were in a situation where if you wanted to go places, if you want to go to Summerfest, for example, you know, last year you had to provide proof that you had been vaccinated. Remember that? We all had the vaccination cards and you had to show them to get into places. Well, those requirements have largely been dropped. So here's what happened with United Airlines. At the height of the pandemic, United Airlines put in a requirement that all its employees would have to be vaccinated. That was the rule. If you were not vaccinated... What happened is, in some cases, people were fired. In other cases, 
if they applied for an exemption, either a medical exemption or a religious exemption, what United Airlines did is they either put you on unpaid leave or, if possible, they would transfer you. So if you were a flight attendant and you would have regular contact maybe with passengers, well, what they would do is if they could find a job in the, I don't know, you know, in, in the home office, as it were, they would transfer you there. So some people were fired. About um, about 200 employees were fired. Another 2,200 um, who argue they had religious or medical reasons not to be vaccinated. Again, were generally put on unpaid leave. Some of them were then, um, like I say, shuffled off to other jobs. United Airlines announced yesterday that all those unvaccinated employees are now going to be allowed back and they're going to be returned to their regular jobs. So in other words, United Airlines is dropping the vaccination requirement for for these employees. And the ones that, again, the, the ones that just refused and didn't apply for an exemption, they're fired. They're not going to hire those back. But the vast majority of the employees who were put on either leave or were shuffled off to other jobs, they are now going to be coming back and they're going to be resuming their own jobs. So essentially, United Airlines, at least for the employees it had during this, I don't know what their rules are with regard to new employees, but for the employees who requested and received exemptions, either religious or medical, they're now being brought back. They will resume their regular jobs in the fashion they were performing them before all this happened, and they're not going to have to be vaccinated. Our number, 855-616-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What do you think about this? Should other companies, given now where we are in the pandemic, that forced their employees to get vaccinated, for that percentage of the employees who decided no, who's been on unpaid leave, or even those employees who were fired, is it time to take them back? Is United making a mistake by taking these employees back, or should they have never fired them in the first place or never put them on unpaid leave? But, all right, is, is it time to do this? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, there was a huge rush to make vaccinations mandatory. If the vaccine was 100% effective, it might make sense. But all companies should follow United and now drop the mandate. Um, Jeff, how many of these people are going to say no and deny the request to come back? How many will ask for back pay? Well, that, that's a whole different story here, but this is this is kind of a sea change. Remember, Joe Biden was trying to, through executive order, force all companies to essentially require the vaccinations. That ended up getting shot down in the court. But now, given where we are in the pandemic, is it time to say, look, the pandemic has largely subsided. We are getting back to normal. The people that aren't going to get vac- vaccinated, if they haven't gotten vaccinated now, they're, they're not going to get vaccinated. So is it time for the companies to say, okay, we've gotten through this. 
We need these employees. It's time to bring them back. 855-616-1620. I think what United is doing is absolutely the right thing. I think you're going to start to see more and more companies do this. The one possible exception might be in the area of health care. But, but even, even at that, even with the nursing homes and things like that that are desperate to have people, this is one of the ways that you can maybe start to fill some of those jobs. 855-616-1620. We discuss in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, United Airlines suspended about twenty two hundred employees without pay for refusing to get a vaccination. United Airlines is now saying those employees can come back. Now, the employees had to put in a request for an exemption saying that there was a religious reason or they had a medical reason. But now United Airlines is saying, okay, even if you're not vaccinated, we're ready to take you back. Is this a mistake? 855-616-1620. I think that, uh, candidly, this is this is the way of the future. Jeff, I don't think the mandate should have ever been implemented. I'm hopeful that all those businesses that fired people um, will rethink them. These people were great, hardworking employees that were terminated. I hope people that got fired for this get sued. Jeff, I'm a nursing home contractor. Nursing homes are starting to loosen up vaccine mandates. I think it's time. I believe the pandemic has largely subsided. Jeff, I think the employees should have never been fired. Actually, what United is doing is rewarding liars. By rewarding liars, I assume the texture means that the people that made the claim for the religious exam- exemptions really didn't have legitimate religious exemptions and this was just they're out to try to avoid ending up getting fired don't know about that or not jeff i think non-healthcare companies should back off on vaccination requirements i do want my healthcare professionals vaccinated and boosted and wearing masks ongoing as i will be in their physical presence don't know about the masks but of course, in a lot of healthcare situations, my guess is they're going to continue with the vaccination requirements, at least for the foreseeable future, simply because a lot of these places have always required people to get flu shots and things of the like. So I don't see them receding or changing that. Jeff, so now I can have a bunch of anti-vaxxers roaming the aisles six inches from me. Guess I'll be flying Delta. Well, I'm not sure that Delta is going to be doing anything different than that. And I guess the bottom line of this is, all right, if you are if you are vaccinated at this particular stage, why does it bother you that somebody who is unvaccinated might be working in, in the aisles? I mean, is there a degree of paranoia or something that's out there? But I do think that this is going to end up being the wave of the future. 855-616-1620. Will this hurt or help United Airlines? And more importantly, I guess the question is, is this going to be the the model that other employees, other businesses are going to follow. And, and my guess is it, it is, because the truth of the matter is you have a certain segment of the population who has just made the decision that they're not going to get vaccinated. Okay, so I, we can disagree with that decision, 
But at this stage, especially with the, the COVID numbers declining and as we're emerging from the pandemic, I guess the question becomes, what, 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 what do you say to these people who made the decision that they're not going to get vaccinated? You can't work in this country anymore. We're not going to, you know, allow you to perform jobs where you're out in public. How are you going to handle this? Jeff, we had a large population, part of the population that came down with the Omicron variant. What happens in three or four months from now when all the natural immunity goes away well I, I i don't know you had a lot of people i guess my comment would be that the vaccinations did a lot i think to stop people from getting the original version of coronavirus the vaccinations did not do as good a job in stopping people from getting the variant what the vaccinations did do though was stop people who were vaccinated from having to be hospitalized so at, at some point in time i guess I, I guess at some point in time you have to recognize that the medical conditions are going to be constantly changing but you know what's going on um, Jeff, well, it will help inflation a little bit with the labor shortages. Laugh out loud. Um, Jeff, I think they should bring them back, but any request for back pay should be denied, um, and the insubordination should remain as a strike in their records. Well, I, I, I don't know that this is insubordination. If they create, be, because of the legal issues that were there, if the company creates this exception and says, hey, if you apply for a religious exemption, and we've talked about this on multiple occasions, how do you decide what's a legitimate religious exemption and not? But if you do that, you're not being insubordinate. What you're doing is you're saying, okay, this is this is the out. This is the alternative the company's given me. I've submitted my information. I don't think you sack people for insubordination. Whether or not they're legally entitled to compensation and back pay is a much more difficult question, and my answer is probably no. Jeff, I hope the employees have found better jobs and the companies who threw them out can go fish. That is going to be one of the, the things. Out of the 2,200 employees, let's say at United Airlines, who were suspended without pay, who are now being invited back, I wonder what percentage of them have either moved on or who don't feel very good about the way United treated them and have no intention of coming back. be interesting to see the numbers. My guess is... My guess is United probably doesn't get more than half of those employees that it put on the back pay or whatever. I don't, I don't think they'll get more than half of them back. But I do think more and more companies are going to be taking this tack moving forward as a way to bring back employees because the science has changed. And as we were always told, aren't we supposed to follow the science? Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. All right, here's the deal. One of the members of the Milwaukee School Board had floated a proposal, and I think we might have talked about it last week, to take MPS, struggling, failing MPS, and instead of having the kids go to school for five days a week, cut down the academic schedule to four days a week and, and they might add a, they might add some time to each of those four days because there's a minimum of instructional hours that you have to have under state law but essentially it would be the kids going to school for four days and then on the fifth day 
they would rest. Well, not actually rest, but the idea was, well, maybe what we can do is we, we can still require them to come in, but we can give them, well, non, non-academic non stuff to do because we're afraid that the kids are, are burned out. That would be the phrase, burned out because of all the studying that they would have to do and all the pressures that they have. So they'd have to show up, but they'd have to attend programs like mental health services, career preparation, community services, internships, athletics, the arts, etc., etc., but but not formal classroom instruction. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, when this matter was uh, presented to a, a school board committee, what was it, last night, the, the committee overwhelmingly re- rejected this. But the school board member, Aisha Carr, who's pro this, she says, I'm going to fight for this plan again. I want it considered by the full school board when we meet at the end of March. Okay, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. The pressures of being an MPS student. All, all that, 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 those tough academics that are out there, the fact that, you know, according to tests, well, less than 10% are proficient at things like reading and writing and stuff like that. The idea that we are going to take a day out of the school week and then allow them for, I don't know, touchy-feely things. Again, we're, we're going to make them show up. Now, of course, you know, how many of those kids are actually going to show up? But because we're worried about burnout, you know, we'll, we'll have mental health services and career preparation and things of the like. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I mean, last time I checked, art was part of the overall program. Athletics were part of the overall program. Career preparation, well, okay, you have courses and classes that deal with that. To me... <laughs> Given the fact that MPS is a complete and total mess, and I'm one of these guys who's an advocate of just blowing up the system and and breaking it down, but that's a whole different conversation. The idea is, do we really improve the kids' lives? Do we make them smarter? Do we encourage them more to learn by saying, you're only going to really have instruction four days a week? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, I'm glad they didn't do this. There's already not enough time. During my misbegotten teaching career, there were times when it took me 20 minutes just to get the kids in their assigned seats. Jeff, here's an idea. Maybe we should be teaching all of our kids these things to begin with. Jeff, pretty good cover-up for a teacher three-day weekend. Well, that's... That's pretty much what this would, would be. What You might ask the question, what are the teachers going to do well, on, on this Friday? And the, the plan was, well, they're going to use it to kind of gather together to discuss teaching ideas and things of, of the like. So it's not as if we don't have enough like off days already built in. We're going to have to build in one day a week to do it. Don't think so. Jeff, Milwaukee schools are failing to teach every single subject. Now you're going to give the kids less class time? That would be insanity. Jeff, kids don't know what burnout is. Well, that's the, that's the, that's the, the, the thing that's there. I mean, my goodness, these, these kids, they're, they're burned out? Well, if they're burned out, it's because lots of them, 
I don't know, aren't spending time in classes and doing homework. They're just out on the streets deciding, you know, how where where am I going to go to steal the, the next car? Or, you know, what are we going to do? What sort of trouble we can we get into? And whatever those factors are, encouraging them to not go to school an extra day is just bizarre to me. Jeff, given the dreadful MPS performance, career prep might be learning how to say, well, you know what? Do you want fries with that? Well, I, I hope not. I mean, see, I, I don't. You cannot give up on the kids. That that's the thing. You cannot, and that's one of the frustrations I have with the educational establishment that appears willing to do precisely that. That complains about, well, you know, we oh, we, we we can't we can't break up MPS. We can't get rid of the bureaucracy. That would be just terrible. But at the same time, they have no ideas as to how you can take these dreadful numbers and change them around, thereby dooming another generation of kids to ultimate failure because they're not being taught. So, I mean, I just to do nothing, I think, is, is just outrageous and unacceptable. So, I mean, at least on the one hand, I guess I applaud an idea that, that changes stuff around. Now, unfortunately, this is, in my opinion, a really, really dumb idea, <laughs> this idea that here, we're going to have them go to school less. Jeff, I have been in construction for 35 years. I hope those poor kids will recover from their burnout. Jeff, this is a great way to prepare for work life. Let's cut down the amount of time. Jeff, teachers are already off all summer long. How are parents going to pay for this? Can the teachers give back part of their pay for one less day of work? No, no, no. You got to understand this proposal. Teachers aren't expected. Teachers aren't expected to teach on that Friday, but they're also not expected to give back anything. It, it's going to be a day where they can sit around and drink coffee and just converse with their fellow teachers to get better ideas as to how they might be able to educate the kids on the four days that they're going to have. In, in any event, I, I again I applaud. This idea that what we're going to try to do is to try to figure out stuff that we can do to change the educational system that's failing. Unfortunately, less time in the classroom is exactly the opposite way that we should be going. And at least for the time being, the Milwaukee School Board is not ready to go down this route. We'll see what happens in the future. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us, and this is the Friday show. We are moving through all sorts of stuff, and i got a lot of ground to cover before the weekend starts. All right, the Milwaukee Common Council is starting to realize that, well, people are, people are fed up with what's going on 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 the streets now I, I don't know when it comes to crime whether they're willing to take the tough steps that you need to address it but they are starting to realize that there's a real problem with reckless driving they're sick of people getting hurt because of reckless drivers they're sick of the constant amount number of people who are, are seeing property damage because of this and it's a complicated problem because a lot of the reckless driving is tied back to criminal activity whether it's the 16 year old kid who's supposed to be in school who's just gone out and carjacked the vehicle and is driving 90 miles an hour running away from the police or whether it's just that the constant chronic reckless drivers who do not care they get stopped they get a ticket they throw the ticket away. They're driving without licenses. 
Maybe they've never had a driver's license. They're driving on suspended licenses. If they've had a driver's license, now it's suspended. They're driving without appropriate registrations. They're driving without, uh, again, tags. You know that they don't got insurance, all those different things. So here's one of the things that the Common Council is considered considering doing. What they are doing is they want to label a series of traffic offenses as a public nuisance. So here's their idea. And it, it actually it was originally proposed by the police chief. The idea is let's target the most extreme repeat offenders of reckless driving. Okay, so how do you how do you do that? How do you stop somebody from getting behind the wheel of a car who just doesn't care? Doesn't have a license has a suspended license, doesn't have tags, doesn't have insurance, blows through red lights, doesn't matter. You can give them all the tickets you want, but it's not going to discourage them. So here's the idea that they're floating. They're saying, all right, what we would do is for these people who have repeatedly committed these offenses, what we would do is we would take them to court and we would argue that their behavior is a public nuisance. If a judge agrees... Then what we would ask is the judge issue an order to stop the nuisance. In other words, say, look, you know, if you continue to violate this, I'm going to essentially, it's the equivalent of a restraining order. You are a nuisance offender, and if you do this again, what the city would do is ask for sanctions, like taking away the offender's car. Now, this is a kind of a complicated and convoluted way to do it, but the city is is limited. I, I think, candidly, the state legislature should be looking at giving law enforcement a lot more remedies to deal with the problem of reckless driving. So there's only so much the city could do. But in other words, th- this is the idea. You target people who've been involved in speeding you've on, on multiple occasions you know again speeding running through red lights fleeing from the police whatever so you target these people you take them into court you have them declared essentially a public nuisance judge says you got to stop this if they don't you start taking cars 855-616-1620 that is the acunate mortgage talk and text line again i the mechanics of this perhaps get a little cumbersome and a little bit complicated and I'm going to concede that up front. But having said that, I think this is a great idea. And this is something that I have been preaching for years now. And I'm glad to see people are finally starting to come around from this. What is the easiest and quickest way to get reckless drivers off the street? It's easy. It's taking their cars. Now, I, I understand that this isn't a perfect magic bullet. I mean, I, I get it, because this doesn't have anything to do with, okay, what about the people that have stolen the cars? Well, okay, if you're driving a stolen car, that, that's a whole different story, but then you should be arrested and you should be prosecuted for stealing the car. Now, this is Milwaukee, so I understand that doesn't happen a lot, but we're talking about the people that are out there driving repeatedly in a reckless fashion that aren't deterred by the tickets, that aren't deterred by the citations, that just flat out don't care about this. And, yeah, I, I think taking their cars is a good thing. Now, then you say, okay, well, what, what do you do with the cars? Well, it depends. If they owe money on the car, you give it back to the company. You forfeit their interest in it, and it, it goes back to the, the it goes back to it get, ends up getting repossessed. If it's something that they own free and clear, you take it and you sell it at auction or something like that. But you don't give the cars back. 
get the people out of the cars and you at least stop a portion of the problem. And then you do this in conjunction with vigorous prosecution of the people who are stealing the cars. So that's how you handle the stolen car situation. And maybe, heaven forbid, maybe we could even start putting some people in jail for stealing cars. Now, I know that's a novel thought, and it's probably not going to happen as long as John Chisholm is the district attorney. But you know what? I don't think John Chisholm's going to be the DA for that much longer. 855-616-1620, seizing cars of reckless drivers. I think it's a good idea. What do you think? We discuss in a moment. Mike in Illinois. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you? Good. What do you think? Good idea, bad idea? I think it's an excellent idea. Um, the abiding law, um, people that follow the law are deserve that. They deserve it. Um, it's just been too long. It's just been a problem excessively for excessive amount of time. I have nothing else to say except it's a great idea. Yeah, I'm with you. Thanks for calling, Mike. I'm getting a number of texts for saying, well, this doesn't solve the problem of stolen cars. No, I, I, I understand that. I mean, that, but that, that, that's a different issue. You know, if you're driving the stolen car in this reckless fashion, obviously you, they don't give you the, the stolen car back. I mean, obviously the stolen car gets returned to the person it was stolen from. Um, most of the times it's damaged or whatever. And for, the, for the, the car thieves, it would be nice if we finally started prosecuting them. But that's a whole other story. This is for those repeat reckless drivers, the people that are driving without licenses, the people that are driving without insurance, the people who get ticket after ticket after ticket and don't pay and don't care. This, this is a way to try to bring some sense of accountability to them, and, and it's the best way. It's, it's you, you take their car. Now, yeah, maybe that's going to cause them to go out and steal a car or something. Well, okay, that, that could very well be the case. In that case, you've got to prosecute them. So this is one of these ideas that I think you, you do, you end up, have to do it in conjunction with all sorts of other situations, and, and, and you. But it's like saying, okay, well, that's not going to solve all these different problems. And I can see it's not going to solve all the problems. But but maybe it's going to be a way to get some people behind off, you know, out from behind the wheel of the car. Jeff, I think this is a great idea. Take their cars. I saw two people blow through red lights on Hampton Avenue between 76th and Lincoln Park yesterday afternoon. We could spend the next hour of the program talking to people who, in the course of the last 24 hours, have driving in Milwaukee. Milwaukee County seen cars blowing through red lights, driving recklessly. In many, many cases, the cars don't have license plates on them. Um, I would guess in many cases, the people that are driving them certainly don't have insurance, and in all cases, probably don't have driver's licenses as well. Well, all right, we're not going to put those people in jail for speeding. That's just not what's going to happen. So you have to have some way, other way of imposing consequences. And, and again, I think taking the car is one of those potential consequences that are out there. Because here's the problem. Doing nothing isn't working. It's just like we were talking about earlier in the hour with, with MPS, just simply looking at these abysmal test scores that have been going on year after year after year, and doing nothing isn't working. Doing nothing when it comes to reckless driving isn't working. Is this a perfect idea? Does it solve all the problems? No. But the more we ratchet up consequences for people who drive in a reckless fashion, the better off I think society overall is going to be. Back with more in just a couple minutes. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 
Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the program. All right, let us turn our attention to the war in Eastern Europe. It is now entering its third week, and I think there's a lot of surprises that are out there. I think I think Vladimir Putin is surprised about two things, if, if he were to be honest. And, of course, Vladimir Putin is an evil human being. And so the idea of him being honest is, I think, it's kind of like not going to happen. But but there's two things. First of all, I, I think Vladimir Putin believed in the myth of the invincible Russian military. Maybe other countries in the West believe that as well. I think they thought that this was going to be a walkover in, in Ukraine. Uh, I don't think they anticipated that... Now, in the third week of this war, and that's what it is, that the Russian army largely finds itself bogged down. Now, the Russian army has superior firepower to the Ukrainians. I, I understand that they have, have taken certain cities, but I guess part of that question is, what, what does that mean? You can occupy the cities, but if, you, if the city does not want to be occupied and taken over, what you've really done is you've just set yourself up for weeks, months, years of insurgent action. And it's not as if the Ukrainians are, are viewing the, the Russian occupiers as anything other than occupiers, much like you know, a number of the conquered countries in World War II visited, uh, you know, viewed the Germans. Sure, you know, when they took over France, there were some collaborators, but most of the French were not happy with the German occupation and worked to try to defeat them. Same thing is going to happen in Ukraine. It's not like they're be- the Russians are, even if they take Ukraine, the question is going to be, you know, what, what are you going to do? Because the Ukrainians aren't willing to be subjected. They don't want to be part of the, the former, you know, U.S. SSR again. So miscalculation number one by Vladimir Putin was the fact that he thought the Russian armies were going to be invincible. He thought that they could just roll over Ukraine, and that's not happened. And what's looking like is that um, it's it is going to be a long slog. That is unfortunate because the humanitarian costs are incredibly high. You already have over 2.5 million people who have become refugees. The Russians, as they get increasingly more aggravated over their inability to make significant progress, what they've started adopting is that the tactics of uh, the tactics of fear that the Nazis used in World War II. They're attacking hospitals. They're attacking, you know, um, old folks' homes. They're they're attacking civilian targets in an effort to try to break the will of the Ukrainian people, and it's it's not working. It's not working. Now that's not to say that ultimately. Militarily, are they going to be able to occupy Kiev and the other cities? Yes. Are they going to be able to keep the population subdued? Well, I, I kind of doubt that. So, unless there is some sort of settlement, it, it's you're, you're looking, I, I think, at, at years of conflict. The second miscalculation that I believe Putin made is he did not believe that the West could be united, and I, I understand why you would think that because you know candidly you've looked at a lot of different conflicts between the united states and germany and great britain and france and italy so i mean i understand where that attitude might come from but at least so far 
NATO has remained united. And if anything, now you see NATO being even stronger than before because you see troops that are now being massed on the Polish border and things like that should Putin decide to try to extend his grasp. So those were the two miscalculations that Putin has made. At the same time, he's showing no signs of being willing to to pull back. And any sort of quote-unquote peace negotiations they've had, the, the Russians haven't been serious. That, that's just the bottom line. It, it's, been, it's been window dressing. I mean, they're, essentially their demands to Ukraine have been surrender. <laughs> surrender and we'll stop. Well, that's, that's not going to happen. Meanwhile, NATO, including the United States, has been trying to walk this fine line between supplying Ukraine with arms that it can use to fight the Russians, but not directly fighting the Russians themselves, which is the whole argument behind we're not going to fly planes into the Ukraine to turn them over to the Ukrainian Air Force because inevitably that will bring NATO pilots into conflict with Russian pilots. And then once you have that, you've got a, a shooting war. And what the West is hoping is that these various sanctions that are being imposed on Russia are going to, at some point in time, force Putin to say uncle because of the economic pressures that they're bringing. And, and there's no question that this is, this is hurting Russia. You, you have you know, all these companies uh, that, that have pulled out. You've got the Russian people that not only they can't, they can't access cash, they can't get out of the country because the Russians now aren't allowed to leave. You've got all these Western businesses ranging from McDonald's to Starbucks to all the different car manufacturers to all the different um, clothing shops or whatever. They're, they're, they're not doing business anymore. The banking interest is pulled out. So that has an effect on the Russian people, but it appears that Putin doesn't necessarily care about that. So as I've been saying for a while, I, if there's... If this isn't a mess, it's going to do till the mess gets here. But the question is, now going into our third week, where do we stand? Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's revisit this question. I know we discussed this. We've discussed this a couple times in the last couple weeks. Now that we are in our third week of this conflict, and it shows no signs of letting up, the Ukrainians are resisting, they are dug in. The Russians are taking heavy losses, but they're not pulling out. The Russian economy is being hurt significantly by the sanctions, but so far it hasn't gotten Putin's attention. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. How does this end? How does this wrap up? Does does it escalate? Are we looking at World War Three? Is there any sort of diplomatic roadmap or... Have we essentially just consigned Russia back behind an Iron Curtain and understood that this battle in Ukraine is going to go on for the next several years? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'll give you my theory, and we will discuss in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. All right, this is now the third week of the war, and it is a war in Ukraine. It, you know, we, we're, the more and more we see this, the more apparent it is that Ronald Reagan was correct. This is an evil empire. There's no question about it, and Vladimir Putin is an evil human being. This is, in many respects, and I, I've said this before, 
I'm, I'm always reluctant to use analogies to Nazi Germany and Hitler and things like that because they're almost always untrue. In this particular case, the behavior of Vladimir Putin is very Hitler-like, and the behavior of Russia is very much like Germany in its war of conquest in the late 30s and early 40s. In this particular case, though, I think Russia is extremely surprised that their military isn't as good, perhaps, as they, as advertised. But more importantly, the Ukrainians are putting up a struggle that they did not expect. And I think best case scenario for, I mean, for the Ukrainians is that this turns out to be a huge, long, involved siege. Because I don't think they're, I don't think they're giving in. And unfortunately, from a humanitarian perspective, that just means that Putin. An evil human being like he is is going to ratchet up the attacks on civilians and turn this into an even greater humanitarian crisis than it already is, as if 2.5 million refugees isn't enough. Bob in Greenfield. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Um, I think the only way um, this can end um, quickly is if uh, Putin is deposed in Russia, because I don't don't think the... um, uh, the sanctions are going to have as much effect in a in a short time as we'd like them to, and because their people are you know in a police state and they're getting propaganda and they mm-hmm. don't really all know what's going on and they really haven't um, you know they've all been under his foot or under Russia's foot or under the the, the systems for right. so long. I don't see them revolting, but. Uh, I see it getting more, like you said, bloodier. I think um, for Putin, if he if he withdraws, if he loses this war, in a sense, um, he's done. You know, they'll they'll want him to step down. But obviously, Ukraine can't beat him. But they can um, a war of attrition because they're going to yeah. have all these anti tank weapons and anti plane weapons. So I see it going on, um, maybe like three or four years as an Afghanistan thing, unless um, he's deposed. I, I know they're talking about now, like, um, biological weapons. I, I would be interested to see if we would um, step in on that. I, I don't. I just don't think we want a war. I don't, I don't think, um, no, I mean, I, I, think, no, Bob, I just that, don't that, think... Yeah, no, thanks for calling. No, you're, I, I mean, I don't, I mean, I think the, the U.S., now you can argue about whether or not this is effective strategy. Because every time you, you hear the president, he's saying what we're not going to do. Well, we're, 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 we're not going to get into these confrontations. And I don't necessarily disagree with what he's saying because a, a war on the ground in Ukraine, I think you can make a strong argument that that's not the right war, it's not the right location for this. Now, at the same time, why you keep telling a monster like Putin what we're not going to do. I, I'm not sure that that makes any any sense. Why why are we targeting this? Why are we saying, oh, we're not going to ship the planes because of this, or we're, we're not going to have boots on the ground? I mean, you, you just if that's the decision you've made, that that's fine, and I think it's probably a good decision. Again, I just don't understand what you think you gain by articulating it publicly. But I, I you know, and a number of people are, are texting me with this whole concept, which is, 
you know, is is there a possibility that, that Putin could get deposed? Now, earlier this week, I think it was on Monday's show, there was all all this angst, and George Stephanopoulos on, on the Sunday morning shows was just all upset with Lindsey Graham, the Republican senator from South Carolina, who said, you know, he'd like to see Putin taken out. Um, and, and, of course, everybody was so upset. Oh, how can we say things like that? And I always thought that was interesting and, and somewhat ironic because my question was, Okay, are we upset with Lindsey Graham for for saying that the concept that gee you that Putin would be removed, or are we upset with the concept, or are we just upset that he said it out loud? You know, because I, I think that the truth of the matter is, and of course you you never know what happens if if the, the the Russian monster is removed. I guess you you never know what comes in his place, and does that make it more volatile or less volatile or whatever? But I, I do think you know Bob, for example, is onto something. I think if, and that's ultimately the purposes of the sanctions. The purposes of the sanctions are to cause such pain on the Russian economy that Vladimir Putin is either deposed or uh, that Vladimir Putin has to back down in some way, shape, or form because of internal pressure and fear that he may be deposed. So that, I mean, that, but sanctions take a long time to work. And that's part of the problem that's here. And the question is, do you do you have a long time? Well, the more I see about what's going on in Ukraine, the more I'm convinced that you, the Ukraine's not going anywhere. They they're not going to roll over. I mean, I was looking at some of the reports that are out there that show that people are are, are dug in in Ukraine, and you know they're they're going to fight. And if, for example, Russia tries to forcibly take Kiev, well, they're they're. They're, they're going to be fighting. I mean, it's going to be street by street. It's going to be door to door fighting, and it's going to be incredibly bloody. It's going to be a huge humanitarian crisis. But Kiev is not just simply going to surrender. And even if Kiev is, even if it's overtaken, all right, and the, the government has to flee, all right, what, what what does that mean? What is the world going to do? The world's going to still continue to recognize the government in exile, and people that are left in Ukraine are going to continue to rebel and fight and be insurgent against Russia. This is, I, I think, historic history is going to ultimately look back at this and see that this was a, a huge misstep by the evil empire. How does this end? Well, unfortunately, my prediction is it doesn't end anytime soon. I think what you're going to see is this is going to settle in to just just vicious combat. And maybe Afghanistan is, is a good sort of parallel to it. I understand the terrain is completely different and the politics are completely different, but I don't think the Ukrainian resistance is going anywhere anytime soon. And I do think NATO is going to prop them up with weapons and they're going to continue to shoot down Russian planes and blow up Russian tanks. And Russia, I thought the story I saw today is they've just recruited a whole bunch of um, a whole bunch of mercenaries to come in from the Middle East and fight alongside the, the Russian army, which to me again, shows some of the desperation that Putin has. But I don't think this is going to go anywhere anytime soon. I think we're going to be looking at a protracted armed struggle. And at the same time, I think you're going to be looking at these sanctions continue to strangle the Russian economy. Hopefully those sanctions will cause Putin to act and cause him to back off before the Ukrainian government falls. But one way or the other, I don't think this is going to end anytime soon. And it is it is unfortunate. And going back to what we talked about Monday, 
I don't know. I understand we're not supposed to say, gee, you know, if they took out this world leader, you know, the, the, the world would be better off. But seriously, if somebody did depose Vladimir Putin by whatever method possible, you know, don't you think that the chances are that this conflict could be resolved, increase exponentially? Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. One of our texters raises this very, very interesting question. And I guess I'd like to put it out there uh, because it's sort of a follow-up on on what we were just talking about. At some point in time, this, this conflict is going to end now I, I don't know i don't know how it ends does it end with russia withdrawing a la afghanistan does it end with russia militarily conquering um ukraine and then essentially being forced to deal with an insurgency that will essentially go on forever how do you how do you govern i mean unless you're going to put two million troops into a country the size of ukraine i don't understand how you govern people who do not want to be governed by by a, by a conquering authority so there's all these different issues that are kind of that are that are out there so i don't think any of us know necessarily how it's going to end but but there is real interesting thing and one of the, the texters says jeff what do you think the how do you believe the world will treat Putin after all is said and done? Now, for much of the last couple decades, we've been talking about normalized relations with Russia. If you will remember, in, in 2008, Barack Obama mocks Mitt Romney at their first presidential debate when, when Mitt Romney talks about Russia providing prov- providing an existential threat to the United States and Obama just kind of laughs him off and says, oh, you know, 1989 is calling and it wants its Cold War back. Well, Romney was right, Reagan was right, Obama was wrong. That, that, that's just the simple fact of, of the matter. It is the evil empire. But nevertheless, for the last couple decades, the West and Russia have had much more normalized sort of relations. That's all changed because of this. There, there's no question that that's changed. And at least right now, Putin is in that small handful of world leaders, North Korea, Syria. It, it's, a, it's a motley bunch. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, how do you think the world treats Putin after this is all said and done? You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. You know, it has been interesting because over the last decade or so, maybe more, the general perception has been... Well, Russia is not a threat to to world peace. You know, Russia, for whatever reasons, we've been concerned about China. We've certainly been concerned about the things that have gone on in in the Middle East. Well, Russia has demonstrated, I think, quite clearly over the course of the last several months that that Russia is a a, a threat to world peace. What's happened is the, you know, after the Iron Curtain, you know, was lifted with 30 years ago or so, you, you've seen a lot more normalization of relations. You know, you've seen U.S. companies that are doing business in Russia on a regular basis. You've seen a westernization of certain aspects of Russia. That, that That's all changed now. You see companies that have now pulled out completely and totally, you know, and, and just 
I, I don't know that there's going to be a, a snap your fingers, turn on a switch, and suddenly you get back to normal. I, I just don't see that happening. So Vladimir Putin, h- how is he going to be viewed? How is Russia going to be viewed? Uh, agree or disagree with me, but I, I think this aggression, and I understand we tend to have short memories, but looking at everything that's happened here, I think Putin, and maybe Putin doesn't care about this, but I think for the majority of the world, Putin has has hurt his reputation, his ability to be trusted, his ability to believe. I, I believed. I, I think he's done just incredible damage to that, and I don't see him coming back from that. As far as Russia in general, I, I think that companies from the West that have done business with them, uh, it's it's going to be a long time before they're willing to go back. And now you've got Putin talking about, like, nationalizing assets and things like that. I mean, if I'm Citibank, if I'm American Express, if I'm Starbucks, if I'm McDonald's, and, and I'm hearing this sort of stuff, it's like, look, we're, we're, we're just done with the Russian market for a while. Now, how badly this hurts him, I guess, depends on whether or not there's other countries, whether or not China decides to ride to Russia aid i'm not sure that's going to happen but i think they've done i think putin has done incredible damage to his his percent how he is perceived as a world leader and i don't see him coming back from that does that end the conflict no not necessarily but i think this is going to be bad for russia moving forward 855-616-1620 jeff russia should be isolated like north korea but and, and I think there are parallels there. But time heals. Now, North Korea doesn't have a bunch of energy, though, that they export. Uh, but time heals most wounds, and eventually Russia will enjoy most favored nation status with a few countries. Uh, Putin should be treated as a despot and a war criminal. Unfortunately, gradually he'll gain acceptance. Um, yeah. Um, is anybody going to want to tour Russia anytime soon? Jeff, I'm thinking the oligarchs will shoot down Putin, will shut down Putin's fantasy factory down pretty soon. It's too costly and they're becoming isolated in the country that is becoming financially ruined in the long term. Um, yeah, 855-616-1620. Jeff, China, Iran, North Korea, and Venezuela will welcome Putin with open arms. India and Turkey will continue to flirt with him for their own benefit. The West will treat him like a permanent pariah. That could very well, you know, turn out to be the, the case. But that, that's, that forever changes the way that, that Russia deals with the world, or at least it changes it for, for decades, if essentially you, you no longer have access to you know, dealing with the West, that there's a new Iron Curtain that's kind of fallen down, and you know, you're dealing, you're talking about India and, and Turkey and China and North Korea and Venezuela. I mean, China, Iran, North Korea, Korea and Venezuela, that, that's not exactly the, the superfecta of, of companies, uh, countries that, that you want to you know, base your world order on china with the possible exception of that david and mequon david you're on wtmj good afternoon hi jeff um i don't foresee this ending in a a very good situation i was just telling your call screener that if you look what putin is doing um obviously we're talking about with american companies and everything else but uh there's now talk that they're going to use chemical weapons because some of the russian soldiers they've captured uh, I guess are, we're wearing gas masks and everything. And in addition to that, he just, I think it was either yesterday or today that they announced that uh, Putin has hired 21,000 additional mercenaries yeah. from Syria to go in to, to fight. 
And my concern is this, Jeff, is that we're just looking right now as a Ukraine-Russia thing, and maybe some, you know, obviously American companies pulling out, and you're kind of isolated. Uh, but Putin has got a very strong relationship with China. They're buying a ton of natural gas and oil. The sanctions, even though we put sanctions on, uh, you know, Russian oil, uh, that does not affect anything with Europe. Europe is still buying, you know, 50% of their uh, Russian oil and natural gas almost. Uh, so that money is still flowing in there. And the question is, how much larger is this going to get geopolitically and how many more things are going to get upset during the process? And to your point, this goes on longer. This is only going to get more problematic, not just for the United States, but for the entire globe um, and a lot of different varieties. And, and one more thing, um, the Chernobyl thing, I'm very worried about that being a um, another nuclear disaster. There's talk about uh, that there's potential for the radiation to leak all over the place. And you got a real humanitarian crisis, and this is uh, going to be something that's going to be very difficult to deal with. Now, thanks for calling, David. I, I don't disagree with much of what you said. Um, it is a huge humanitarian crisis, and the worse it gets, the, the more I, I think it serves to isolate Vladimir Putin and, and Russia as the the cause of this. Now I understand they've got their propaganda. Oh, we didn't we didn't we didn't attack this hospital. That's just all this. Well, okay, that's I, I think most people understand, maybe I don't know if most Russians understand that, but most people I think in the world understand that that's just pure propaganda. I think one of the interesting things and you just touched on it to see how this all develops is is what does China do? And and nobody really knows. I understand that that at least thus far China has shown support for Russia, but China and Russia are different. Russia is largely a gas station that provides and and sells energy. Well, the energy that Russia sells can be generated elsewhere, and that that those needs can be filled. Now, might take a little bit of time, but but that that energy that Russia provides can be can be filled elsewhere. China, on the other hand, China is a huge trade partner of the United States. China is a huge trade partner of the West. And I really seriously wonder that, you know, when when the rubber meets the road, if China has to choose between the rest of the world, essentially, and Russia, what side do they come down on? Now, I understand early on that there was that China was giving lip service to, you know, we stand with Russia, et cetera, et cetera. But as time goes on, and I think China, which has tried for the last, you know, 50 years to present itself to the world as, as, as a more normalized sort of country, to normalize relationships, in large part because of all this trade stuff and things, as as Russia gets more and more isolated, I, I think, I mean, I understand there's this conventional wisdom that says that China will always side with Russia against the rest of the West. I, I don't know that that's the case because at the end of the day for these countries, it's what's in their economic interest overall. And, okay, is China's interest in being pals with North Korea and Syria and Venezuela or does it and Russia, or does it have more interest in aligning itself with the rest of the world? I I don't think this ends well for Putin. I, I just I don't, and I don't think it ends well for Russia as a country. But that 
but, but how you get from where we are now to that point, I, that that's what I don't know. And how long it's going to take, I, I don't know. But I don't think it ends well for him. And I, I certainly, I, I hope I'm right, and I hope this ends sooner rather than later, because I'm sure you agree with me. If we don't agree about anything else, we I think we should all agree that what is going on is an absolute travesty, a complete and total humanitarian crisis, and it is just heartbreaking in the extreme. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Of course, this being an election year, people are also paying attention to politics. And I understand there's folks out there who don't don't believe in polls. And, and I, to me, I, I've all, I think that you ignore polls at your own risk. And I, I've said this repeatedly. I, the, the last several years have not been particularly good for polling, and when, especially when it comes to Donald Trump, because for whatever reasons, whether it's Trump supporters lying to poll worker, to people who take the polls, or um, people not wanting to um, acknowledge publicly support Trump or, or whatever, uh, Trump support always tends to be underrepresented in, in the polls. He always overperforms the polls. But that doesn't mean that the polling itself, especially when it comes to other races and approval, things like that, that doesn't necessarily mean it's bad. And um, it, it's it's not, if you believe polls, not good at all for, for Joe Biden. I think there were some people who were thinking and some Democrats who were hoping that maybe his State of the Union address and his response to you know what's going on in Ukraine, maybe this would, would give him a, a bump. And I think there was one or two early polls that showed that maybe he'd improved in his standing from like 45% or 42% to 46% or things like that. But But overall... The American people are clearly not in a good mood, and right or wrong, they're taking it out on Biden. Wall Street Journal has a new poll out today. The numbers approve or disapprove. March of 2021, when they asked whether you approve of the job Joe Biden is doing as president, March of 2021, 41% either strongly approved, 19%, or somewhat approved, 22%. So that's 41%. And... 10% 10% somewhat disapproved and 46% strongly disapproved. So his numbers in November of 2021 were 41% approved or strongly approved and 56% strongly approved, disapproved or disapproved somewhat. All right, new polls taken just over the course of the last few days. Let's see, March of 2022, 42% either strongly approved or somewhat approved. So essentially the numbers are unchanged. 57% somewhat disapprove or strongly disapprove. So he's he's underwater, again, in a big way. 57% strongly, either strongly disapproving or somewhat disapproving. So he continues to be underwater in that regard. And, of course, what what what's hurting him the people are pretty much split on on how you're handling ukraine but he's getting extremely poor marks for handling inflation and for handling the economy and as as we know 
as Bill Clinton taught us back in the in the 90s, when it comes to voters, oftentimes it is the economy stupid. And whether it's fair to blame Biden or not, and I think that it is in certain respects, you, you look at what's going on and people look at gas prices that are $4.40 a gallon or whatever it is. You look at the fact that inflation is up what, about 8% over in the last year, February to February? These staggeringly high numbers, people are paying a lot more for all sorts of things. And I understand the strategy that Joe Biden is going to have is is to blame it on Putin. This is, this is all because of Russia. But the problem is we had inflation well before Putin decides to invade Ukraine. And I think people remember that. So for anybody who thought that there was going to be this huge reset after the State of the Union, it hasn't happened. And as long as you have sky-high gas prices and you have this inflation that's going up at these staggering rates, fastest rate in, what, 30, 40 years, you're not going to see, I think, any any people feeling good for the current administration. The American people are not particularly in a great mood. Interestingly, one of the questions they ask in the poll, which just has me rolling my eyes, is they say, okay, if the election were held today, would you vote for Donald Trump or would you vote for Joe Biden? And it's split 45 to 45. And they said, if those were the two, and actually the way the question was phrased was, if those are the two choices on the ballot in 2024, which one would you vote for? And it's 45 to 45. Personally, from my perspective, my, my response was, oh my gosh. I mean, I hope, hopefully that won't be the choice from either party in, in 2024. Hopefully we will have been able to move on and, and, and maybe find people who want to be president who aren't in their 80s or their upper 70s and don't have all the, the baggage that either uh, that both of those, those candidates have. So I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, my guess is neither one of those candidates are going to be on the ballot as the major party nominee in 2024, but I guess I could be wrong. But in any event, the, the new poll numbers do not translate well for Joe Biden. It is, of course, March. So I guess the question becomes, you know, can things dramatically turn around in the course of the next six or seven months? Yeah, but they're not turning around right now. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. And this is Jeff Wagner. Okay, he, he's not crazy in the Vladimir Putin sense of crazy, but... Jesse Smollett, he, he's, got, he's got a bit of crazy himself going on. Je- Jesse Smollett is, of course, the former Empire actor who was involved in the fake hate crime down in Chicago. He called the police, and he said that he had been attacked by people with one of them was wearing like a MAGA hat, and they, they put a noose around his neck, and they'd yelled all these things at him. And he's, of course, he's both black and he's gay. So it was, I mean, it was the daily double of, of hate crimes. I mean, they were going after me because I was black. They were going after me because I was gay. When he reported all this, it got national attention because, all the Hollywood um, forces rallied around him. Oh, isn't this terrible? This, it, it's awful that somebody should be subjected to this, etc., etc. And that was all well and good until it all broke down, and it turned out that the guy had faked it, and it paid people um, who were close to him to, to do this and to rough him up, and he, he lied about it. They tried him. He went on trial um, last year 
and got on the witness stand, lied about his involvement, and ended up getting convicted. The jury didn't take him very long to convict him because it was so apparent that he was lying. So yesterday he goes into court. He's sentenced to five months in jail, which I think is actually, this is this is the Goldilocks case. It's not too hard. It's not too light. I think it, it's appropriate. He's sentenced to five months in jail and then community service. And then, of course, being the psycho that he is, he ends up you know, throwing a fit, screaming, I'm, I'm not a suicide risk. I think trying to get attention and imply that if something happened to him in, in jail, that it, it wouldn't have been something that he had done himself. And then he's screaming, I'm innocent, I'm innocent, as he's hauled out of court. No, what he is is guilty as hell, and he's also nuts. And I, the real interesting thing to me is going to be, once he gets out of jail, is, is this liar... Is he going to be continue to be embraced by the Hollywood elite? Will you see this guy performing again? Or if you ever want to find somebody, in my opinion, that deserves to be canceled, it's Jussie Smollett. All right, stick around. We're going to find out what John McCure has coming up on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.